Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, this week's episode is another side two because it features the return of another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, somebody I interviewed in May 2021, someone part of one of the biggest bands of the late 60s and early 70s. I'm, of course, talking about the wonderful Credence Clearwater revival and my guest, Doug Cosmo Clifford. He is on top form again, as you'd expect, and I was delighted to get him back on to talk about the release of the new Netflix video and his new album from Cosmo's Vault as well. And of course, we get some more Credence stories thrown in too. Now, quickly, before that, I want to give some shout-outs, as usual. First to Rick Friel on Twitter. Thanks for the kind words about the podcast. Hello to Eric Campbell on YouTube. He always engages on there. Now, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel for free on YouTube, then definitely get on it. I post a poll every single day, something a bit fun, whether it's uh, who do you like out of these singers, which of these albums is the best, what song do you prefer from this, that sort of thing. Just a quick visual poll. Dead easy to do. Quick click on there. And uh, Eric, he's one of those guys who always engages, always comments, so a big thanks to Eric for that. And I also want to say hello to Bo Cargas. He was in touch following last week's interview with Boston founding member Barry Goodrow. And if you haven't checked out that interview yet, then definitely do so. And I'll get this in early. I didn't realise until writing this that uh, I didn't put up the usual top five post on social media this week from last week's show. So I'm going to roll that over to next week's big interview programme. And one last little shout-out goes to Scott Fleming. A big thank you to everyone, as always, for reaching out during the week. It's always great to hear from you, and I do try my best to mention as many people as possible on the big Monday episode. But back to today's guest then, Doug Cosmo Clifford, the drummer with Credence Clearwater Revival, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, one of the hardest working bands of the 60s and 70s. Their run of six straight platinum selling albums in about two years is very unlikely to be matched, I'm guessing. Now, I haven't actually done the research, but six studio albums released in that period of time is not exactly common, is it? Let alone for them all to go on to sell mega units as well. Anyways, it was great to get Doug on again, especially as he obviously has his health issues. He's battling the effects of Parkinson's disease. Now, I wanted to get him on as I saw that he had opened his famous Cosmo Vault. He has recordings from decades ago that have never seen the light of day before. So we're getting more great music out of there, which is always a good thing. And uh, this time we're going to hear about the stuff he did in the 70s with former Derek and the Dominoes man, Bobby Whitlock. This new release has been named California Gold. And I also wanted to get the lowdown on the new Netflix release as well, Travelling Band. It's a brilliant live performance from Credence at London's Royal Albert Hall. It's got some brilliant documentary footage on there as well from stuff that was filmed on their tour across Europe. If you've not seen it yet, then definitely do check it out. It's fantastic. It's great footage from the 60s and well worth a watch. So yeah, I wanted to get him on to get the lowdown on those new releases and of course to hear some more fantastic Credence stories too. So here you go. Enjoy this chat with Doug Cosmo Clifford. So, uh, Cosmo, the vault has been opened again. Last time we spoke, you just released For All the Money in the World. That was a, a project you worked on with uh, Steve Wright, of course. Now, this time you've unleashed another cracker. It's called California Gold, and it's a collection of songs between yourself and uh, Derek and the Dominoes man Bobby Whitlock. Now, this one goes way back, doesn't it? When did you guys originally work on this one? 1978. <laughs> wow. That is from the vault, isn't it? 
Uh, that vault is ancient. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you've got other musicians that worked on it as well with yourself and Bobby, one of them being Booker T and the MGs, man, uh, bassist Donald Duck Dunn. And uh, it was him that introduced the two of you together, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I was uh, looking to put together a band and uh, I was uh, visiting Duck and I asked him uh, if he knew of any singers of merit that might want to work with me. He said, yeah, Bobby Whitlock. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I know who he is, Layla, etc. And uh, so uh, Bobby came up to my house in the Bay Area, drove up from L.A. and uh, with his pregnant wife and his little three-year-old daughter. And uh, we came in and we started talking about what plans we might make or what, you know, direction we might go into uh, uh, musically. And next thing you know, we were writing, uh, right? <laughs> and uh, it, it was very easy. And, uh, you know, I, I like to co-write. Uh, but if I co-write, I, I, I co-write with one only one other person. Three's a crowd, believe me, in, in, in songwriting. And uh, pounding these songs out, and I said, you know, if we, we don't record these songs, we're going to forget them. And that's <laughs> enough. You have an idea for a song, you better at least get pencil and paper and take a few notes otherwise come the rising of the sun the following day all that information is gone unless you've either recorded it or written it down so uh, we got duck and uh, a fellow named um, michael uh, o'neill uh, and we went into the studio and uh, recorded some of the songs that we, we had written the best of the lot and uh, uh, that that sort of continued. Then Duck got a, a, an offer from John Belushi to become a blues yes. brother, <laughs> and uh, so he says, "I got to take this." And we said, oh, "Of course you do." And uh, you know, so off he went. And uh, then uh, I don't know what happened to Michael O'Neill. That's a long time back. But uh, anyway. The, it was sort of dissolving, and uh, I said, well, you know, it looks like it's not going to happen, so I stored uh, the tapes and put them in the vault, and everybody went their separate ways, and then I, uh, I had, had these good songs, and I, yeah. I wanted to have a finished product, and I had nothing else to do, so I, I uh, produced the tapes, and, and uh, what you hear is what, uh, what we did, and Ah. Sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even after all these years. And you talk about the, the songwriting process there between between yourself and Bobby. You said it was nice and easy. Everything came free and natural. I mean, you talk about getting in the studio quite quickly. I mean, there's 10 songs on this record. How long, what sort of space in time was it? I know it was a long time ago, but what sort of space in time were these songs conceived and then recorded over? About a year. Okay. But there were probably six, 16 songs. There are other songs that are that are in, in the vault. And, and uh, uh, you know, as a producer now, I have two-track pre-mixed <laughs> songs, so that makes it pretty difficult. For example, if I wanted to change something uh, level-wise, volume-wise, if you will, uh, I had to find the frequency that that probably would be the snare drum. In, in my case, I, I gotta have more snare. <laughs> find the frequency where that snare is and then boost it a db or two or three 
depending on uh, what you want. Now, there's good news and there's bad news. I can do that. But the bad news is anything else in that frequency will be boosted as well, the same amount. Now that and that might be you know, a guitar or a bass or something. And so I had a, a juggling uh, contest going on. Uh, but you know that's that's what producers do. You know you you have something to work with, and in my case, uh, all the everything in the vault is a two-track master. Absolutely. And the album itself, I mean, it's come out an absolute treat. The work you guys have done on it is fantastic. As I said, it's called California Gold. It's uh, it's 10 tracks, isn't it, we've got on, on the finished record. But it's all uh, brilliantly kind of rootsy rock blues. And it, it doesn't really let up at any stage in the album. It just kind of keeps driving. It's a fantastic record. Yeah, it, 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 it was a lot of fun playing. You know, certainly with Duck, I've done a lot of uh, work with him over the years. I really miss him. He was just a terrific guy and uh, a monster bass player. I mean, just incredible. And uh, so we had good players and uh, we had uh, good songs between between uh, the two of us, Bobby and myself. And uh, so we, we really we thought, hey, this is a, a kind of a self-contained uh, band but that's we have everything but a, but a label. <laughs> That's, that was what we were trying to to get out of the the tapes, and uh, as I, I I won't be redundant, but you know, Duck went off, and, and things just sort of went away. Same with with uh, Steve Wright. We did we, the same thing. We were the the writers, the co-writers, and, and uh, that's where our source of material came from from uh, the two of us, and. Um, uh, but he, uh, you had to go out and, and, and play gigs for labels to be able to come and see you play. That's how it was done back then. And uh, so I said, Steve, we got to get a, a set together. So we'd go out and, and play. You know, we'd send the tape out to companies we wanted to be involved with. And uh, then if they're, they like what they hear, then they'll say, where, where are you playing? So we can send our A&R man out. Yeah. And we would tell them and they would come and we would play and shake hands and whatever. And uh, I, I told Steve, I said, we got to go play some, some, some gigs. He says, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I said, what, what do you mean you don't want to do that? He says, I've already done that. He says, I've done it too. But <laughs> the band I did it with was a lot bigger than the band you did yours with. Come on, snap out of it. Get out of your. That kind of put that 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 tape into into the vault. What are you thinking, or, or are you? And then he passed away, so there was you know no chance of redemption for that project, and. Um, uh, there are other things still in in, in, the, in the vault. Ah. But, uh, I, I, you know. That was going to be one of my next questions as well. I mean, you seem to be opening this wonderful vault that's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, have we got other things in, in, the, in the pipeline for the future to, to look forward to? Yes, but I'll have to think about, it, about the, the future of it. Uh, they're all, you know, the same as the others, two-track masters. Uh, and uh, but uh, it's it's most of it is 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 me, so it would be a, a solo album for me. And right now, 
uh, I can't touch what we've got with California gold. So we'll go, we'll go with the good stuff. And, and when there, there's nothing left but me, <laughs> I might put something out. Who knows? Hey, your fans will, your fans will always look forward to stuff like that. Absolutely. So in terms of California gold, I mean, why now? Why, why do you decide to, to put it together and release it now? Just uh, thinking about uh, the vault and and the the Clifford Wright project that had come out, I said, you know that that was a good record too. We had you know a good band, good singer. So I, I was in my studio and I was looking at the, at that record and uh, I said, you know, I talked about the the Whitlock thing, so I I checked it out and uh, it was better than I thought or had remembered. I said, you know, this is doable. So mm-hmm. if you have something uh, and it's just sitting there for 50 years, 40 years, whatever it is, it, 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 was, it was definitely time for that record. Absolutely. And something else it was time for was the release of a new documentary. It's just come onto Netflix, The Traveling Band. It's fantastic to see. It. It's uh, It was of your time with, with Credence Clearwater Revival, of course. It was your first trip over to Europe, to the UK. It's um, the film performance of your time at the Royal Albert Hall, one of the shows you did there. But there's some fantastic other footage on there as well. But first question, why did this one take so long to come out? Well, uh, when John was trying to get out of his his contract with with fantasy after previous had broken up there was a lot of back and forth and, and negotiation and uh, we uh, we made sure that we didn't do anything uh, extra when we were recording and nothing other than the, what was going to be on a record yeah. because we didn't want to have something in there that was not acceptable, acceptable, meaning it's not not as good as what what the end product ended up being. You don't want that in their hands. They would have the rights to it. So we made sure we didn't leave anything. Now, uh, we were doing, in, in the process of doing a, a one-hour television special, part of that was a, 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 one of our concerts at Oakland, the Oakland Coliseum. That, that being our kind of our backyard, that show was filmed as part of that special, and uh, they they stored it in, in their vault. The record company did, and right next to it was the Royal Albert Hall tape. Well, they they wanted to put the Royal Albert Hall tape out, and and in John's negotiation, he said you can only release one. Mm-hmm. Previously unreleased record, and that's it. So they, that got accepted, and, and uh, so they they put it out. And, and when it was done, they brought a copy over and asked me to listen to it, see how, you know how it how it played out. And the first thing I hear is Big Daddy Tom Donahue, and that is not an Englishman. Let me tell you what. Hey, Creedence Clearwater Revival, coming! I want uh, to boogie for you, shake your booty. You know what I mean? I said, "That's an Englishman." You know, I said, "You put out the wrong, the wrong record." I said, "This is the the Oakland show," and now, and they and they put it out with you know Royal Albert Hall, and they actually had the nerve. I wanted to punch them. They said. Just don't tell anyone. Come on, what are you, out of your mind? 
So anyway, nothing came out. And so all these years, John has changed his, his uh, thinking on it and he's uh, it worked for, to get him out, out, of, out of his contract bed and some other things. So that's all history. We have this, this really cool project. Uh, yeah. There are three songs from Oakland uh, show. There are three songs from Woodstock. Yeah. And then uh, some interviews and some some us goofing around, twenty uh, <laughs> five year old rock rock stars <laughs> with, with riding bicycles into hotel lobbies, and things like that. Yeah. I didn't steal the bicycles for us. I just commandeered them for for a short run. Of course, <laughs> to, to one of the dinners we were had a lot a lot of dinners. We were meeting the the the, the record company people. In, the, in those markets, uh, it was business, but it was boring. So uh, <laughs> I found these bicycles, one of the bigger ones, and had a nice big lobby you could ride around in there. And all of that show was when we were having fun. Yeah, absolutely. Or the negative stuff came in, and, and they didn't put any of that in. And I, I was hats off, you know, shows what 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 we do. How our, our idiosyncrasies, where John will come off the microphone, get into a guitar thing, but he turns his back on the audience and comes and he's playing it to me. That was uh, something that we we did when we were in the uh, eighth grade. So we started the band when we were thirteen. Wow. So. So what okay. we had always been, that's how we always did it. We we're an instrumental trio. And so he, he continued to doing that when we hit the big time. And it was kind of weird, you know, uh, to, to, for the lead man to turn his back. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, after, I mean, again, this had been sat in the vault, as you said, for, for all these years. When you got the chance to see this, obviously, before it went out, I mean, what, what was your reactions to watching this stuff back from, from such a long time ago? Bittersweet, uh, you know, it was, it was too bad that we didn't uh, last longer than we did, but we were very uh, productive in, in the yes, yeah. in four years, obviously, you know, putting out three albums in, in one year, in 69, we were number one in the world, uh, and that was part of the, the, the trip to, to Europe and why we played at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, the, you know, the Beatles came over and did Ed Sullivan show, and, and, and got to a, a, a national audience in, the, in America. So we we're going over to their territory and playing in their to house. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm an athlete and I, uh, I, I'm competitive, and uh, you know, so I, I wanted to try and knock their, the doors off, not in a negative or, mm -hmm. or sense because I was a huge Beatles fan. We loved them, but they were, you know, they were, they were number one and we were number two. And we wanted to be number one and Paul helped us out with that one. <laughs> he did by leaving. Yes. <laughs> oh, we were. Hey, it worked. Well, not really. Uh, you know, we went over and played rock and roll the way it should be played. And, when I we saw the Beatles, we were about maybe six years together and hadn't gone anywhere. And then all of a sudden, these guys are you know taking over, 
the radio uh, and uh, playing better rock and roll than the American bands were. <laughs> These guys from Liverpool, England can, can, can do it. They have the same instrumentation that we have. Then we can do it. And uh, that was a huge point because we were teetering on, on, on the brink of, well, we gave it our, our best shot. But seeing them do it and, and, and do it so well, uh, we said, we, you know, we can do it. And, and that, that was a huge shot in the arm for us. Yeah. Now, in terms of the, the documentary itself, it's had rave reviews. It's, everyone's talked so positively about it. It's a fantastic watch, so I recommend if you haven't seen it yet to definitely do so. Check it out on Netflix. But um, is it nice for you to see it in, well, for two reasons, basically, that older generations can enjoy what you, you guys used to produce and what you did on stage and then get to see some of the behind-the-scenes footage, which is lovely to see. But secondly, because it brings you and to a younger audience, maybe a new demographic that haven't seen you before or maybe listened to that much of your music before. So is it nice on, on that kind of aspect as well? Well, it, was, it couldn't have been a better example of who we are and what we what we do and or did mm -hmm. we have uh, three generations of fans uh and uh, this gives us as you, you say the younger fans a chance to to see the old old guys doing what they did when they were young guys <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> doing it properly doing real rock and roll that's it yeah real rock and roll and, and no no frills no no just get it out there and, and kick ass basically. <laughs> absolutely and you mentioned it as well the fact that as a band you weren't together for a long time but you were you're almost a force of nature you you're together for, for only a number of years four years in terms of the recording process and releasing and, and the height of your fame but during three of those years i think it was 68 to 70 you released six platinum albums back to back i mean that's absolutely unheard of nowadays isn't it well that that's a, a career now yes yeah of course that's an incredible yeah. career, not just a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, John, that was John's uh, doing. He said, "If we're ever off the charts, we'll be forgotten." Well, that's that's bullshit. Everybody, everybody else of our peers that was putting records out at, at that time, all of those guys. Uh, were off the charts at one one point or another, but we uh, we we weren't. We you know we we would put singles out in bet in between albums. <laughs> that was, that was a, a, a no no. Don't waste a single if you don't have an album to back it up. Well, it worked okay for us uh, because th there were many singles. Uh, that, that would be on on one record, uh, so you you all you're doing is keeping his theory yeah. in play. Uh, so you know what, what can you what can you say? I mean, we did things uh, uh, our way, yep. right or wrong, and uh, that's just how it was. It was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, if you don't mind just touching on the kind of the biggest selling album of them all, I mean, Cosmos Factory, it was obviously, it bears your name. It was four times platinum. I think it was number one for something like nine weeks or something like that in the US. It's incredible. You, you talked about almost being on a treadmill, the fact that John always wanted to have something in the charts. It was a case of, I'm guessing, writing, recording, touring, writing, recording, touring, always making sure the music's out there. Now, did you ever get a chance to, to enjoy the success of, of the music that was there during that time? 
Well, I did because the, the, the reason I was, it was named after me. Uh, John, John didn't like talking to the press. Uh, he, he really just didn't like it. And he knew me and pretty, pretty well because, you know, saw me in action uh, as a kid and, and just my personality. And so he said, they're going to come and ask you questions about why. I'll leave that up to you. So I had a different uh, story every city I went into because there was no internet. So that, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't bust me. And, and so I just made up all these stories and had, had these guys gathered around and had them bullshit. It was uh, so much fun. Absolutely. Is that your favorite record from your time with the band or, or do you like a different one? Well, I, it has to be my favorite because how many, how many, Guys get a, a, an album named after them. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and you're not the front man. And in a, in a sense, if you look at the, the, the film, I, I, I am the front man because I'm the guy that's doing most most of the moving. But at the same time, I'm you know driving a, the beat of the band. So I'm the driver. So much fun. Absolutely. Well, um, Cosmo, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you for a second time. It's been great to have you on the show again. Uh, best of luck with the new record. It's uh, It sounds fantastic. I recommend uh, everyone to get a listen of it. It's out now. So please check it out on all good uh, listening platforms or, or buy a copy of it. Oh, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, uh, it is, uh, especially with what's going on in, in the world now, back in the day, it was the Vietnam War. That was our war. We, there's a war, but it's not our war this time. But there's other things. There's a plague. It morphs. It's doing all the things that can keep you off guard and uh, worries me. Uh, I'm uh, in the age bracket that uh, is susceptible to this thing and and i also have uh, parkinson's well you stay safe cosmo and we'll catch up with you when you release something else from your vault because i can't wait to see what else you've got hidden for us thank you peace the brilliant doug cosmo clifford there always fun chatting with cosmo now check out that new album california gold and take a watch of the new netflix film traveling band and their performance at the royal albert hall no top fives on the show this week, though, fans. Sorry. I, I did do the top five Credence Clearwater songs on the first episode that I did with Cosmo. That was episode 28 from May of 2021. So check that out for my choices on there. So that's it for this week's big interview show. I've got some more great interviews lined up for you in coming weeks. So please make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on the feed. It's always free, whether it's a subscribe or a follow or a like or whatever it is on your podcast app. But make sure you've pressed the button on the Vintage Rock Pod feed so you don't miss these big interviews and the short daily episodes that come out every single day too you get plenty of classic rock action right here on vintage rock pod well i'm going to be back tomorrow with another of those short this day rocks episodes so until then take care it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.